This is my favorite song, and Ray knows that, so whenever I come here, he makes sure to play September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Welcome down to a thrilling another edition of Dive Bar Mitzvah. Hey, it's me, your pal Ian, and I'm coming at you from a weird time in a podcast. Most podcasts aren't recorded right now because I am in the middle of what I call my hiatus. But I've been drug out of my hiatus by today's guest. Uh, And you know what? And I was thrilled at the opportunity to interview him, no matter how burnt out I'd become on my own podcast, which is, you know, the way it goes sometimes. I don't blame you. Blame me. I did 20 episodes in 20 weeks, and... I was like, I'd never want to hear myself talk again. But thankfully, many of you did not feel the same way, and our numbers actually did very well. So seriously, thank you for listening and continuing to listen. And uh, please rate us highly on iTunes and all that good stuff, and tell a friend or email it to your parents or do whatever it is you do in these social media days. Um, But uh, not only is it an odd time for us to be here, this is a great time for me to be here because this is uh, my one of my favorite dive bars in the Twin Cities and it's one of my guests favorite bars in the Twin Cities. We're at the Hunan Garden in a uh, fashionable downtown St. Paul uh, and we're here on the best night you can be here which is Thursday nights. Now what you might ask yourself Ian why are Thursdays so awesome? Well I will tell you it is the night that Ray Evangelista the one man band is playing and he's now doing Shining Star the second of two Earth Wind and Fire songs he's played. We just missed September uh, and if you look up Ray Evangelista you'll find a hodgepodge of uh, you know low-res JPEGs uh, some old scans and a professionally done 20 minute documentary about him that I made because that's how much I love Ray I came up with the whole concept of doing a one-man band documentary for a couple different reasons but not the least of which is to get the word out about Ray so every uh, Thursday here at the Hunan he's here from like 8 till 1 and that's a long work day for being a one-man band um, and I mean, and, uh, today's guest, I'm going to shoehorn this into a segue, Rob. Watch this. Uh, I'd say he's a one-man band of talent, but uh, as, as you know, some people can play guitars and drums at the same time. Uh, we have he's a Twin Cities host. He is a writer, a bon vivant, um, uh, 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 and other things too. Yeah, um, things to be determined. Ladies a and gentlemen, spoken word artist. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Yes. Exactly. Spoken word artist. Badass extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, our uh, guest for today, Mr. Rob Callahan. Hey, Rob. How you doing? Great. Uh, how are you doing? No, I, I am good. I thought you were my guest. I thought I was interviewing you for making it. Yeah. Now, see, that's the other angle we have tonight. So not only are we doing an episode of Dive Bar Mitzvah, I'm also, I guess, being interviewed by Rob. For now, what am I getting interviewed for again? Because I'm a little foggy on this. Because you explained sure. it to me on, uh, on on a Tuesday at Jaeger when I'm hosting trivia, and I was a little foggy. But I knew you wanted to hang out and, and perhaps talk about me. And those are two things I've been meaning to do with you for a long time: is hang out and talk about me. Yeah. So making it is a uh, monthly series I'm doing for the Walker on their website uh, mnartists.org. Okay. And um, excuse me, I'm a little hoarse. No, that's. Uh, and uh, I basically, once a month, I pick someone who is active in the arts, has been for a long time, who's had highlights and ups and downs, and talk to them about what they do between the ups and the downs. And I, I'm still waiting, you know? Like I, had, I feel like I had, and I don't, whenever I get approached for this, and this has happened a couple times, one time I was approached by the Star Tribune, like, how did you get that sweet job? And I'm like... I live in poverty. I wrote him back. Like, I mean, I don't, what sweet job could you possibly be referencing? And I've been asked a couple different times to do stuff sort of like this, and I always shy away because I assume none of it will reflect positively upon me. 
are just like, I don't know. I don't think I, uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is your job. And good thing you are a good writer, so you get to actually put a spit shine on me here, right? It, it doesn't have to reflect positively on you. Um, <laughs> I'd prefer if it but, did. But, um, yeah, no. Um, so, I think we're just going to be asking each other questions for the, uh, this, this, the, uh, the duration of the podcast. Okay. Uh, now, I wish I would have known that because I prepared nothing. Because, as I said, I'm on hiatus, and I was taking that to the furthest degree I could. Um, what, but, is, what is this prepared of which you speak? Yeah, I know, right? I have yeah. a no- notebook in front of me with notes for other guests I've had. Maybe I could dip through those. You could ask me their questions. Yeah, I could. What's it like being Dessa? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Have you? Was, have you, have De- you? No, Dessa, have you Dessa? Hasn't, Dessa hasn't been returning my phone calls for like seven years now. Oh, well, she's busy. Yeah, I know. Busy being popular. Yeah, I remember uh, we, and I was doing Drinking with Ian. She's like, I really want to do your show. And I'm like, that's awesome. We're taping in two months. And in those two months, she had gotten too famous to do my show. And I was just like... Damn it! In her defense, I don't think it's a too famous thing. I think it's just like she's stretched so thin. Well, yeah, I mean, and she was basically, yeah, my management doesn't want me to do anything here in town before the blowout. And I'm like, that's adorable and all, but please (laughs) help me out. That's all I've got. Um, Which is funny because at that time I was sitting around waiting for drinking and eat with Ian to ring me up and say, you know what? I should have. I don't know. You you were you were a, a local famous person before I was. And I don't know true? if I had, yeah. Okay. Because when I was just starting to get some recognition in town, drinking with Ian was already a thing. Yeah. So I don't know if I was ever on your radar back then. I was surprised the first time we met. My radar yeah. was really faulty, even okay. at the best of times. It was pretty much who was nearby, who I could grab, who I could introduce in a way that would make everyone in the room think, oh, I just don't know who they are, but they're obviously very important. You know, that was the scam that I ran. You're for good all at these. that now, too, by the way. So, no. I think the listeners would appreciate it. Like, the first time we met, I came up to introduce myself to you, and I said, Ian. And you turned around and said, yeah, Rob. And I was like, oh, my God, this local famous guy knows who I am. That's the only time that sentence has been started. It ended in a positive way about me. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked up to you at a bar, and you just, like, looked at me like I was an asshole. And I just kind of walked away, and I felt real bad about myself. And then I, my girlfriend turned to me and went, I thought you knew him. I'm like, no, I guess not. Oh, huh, horrible. Oh, I, I've had that happen in bars. Um but I mean, yeah, yeah, but you're you're of you're of great esteem now. I, I am. I I think uh, this is just between you and me, and however many thousand people listening to yeah. this. Um, I I still feel that it's mostly unearned, and I'm always surprised when I'm reminded of it. Yeah. Um, a great anecdote. Uh, last summer, I was at a con, and I'm talking with a local author, Michael Miriam, who is amazing. He writes these urban fantasy books, and um, he's got a great following. And while I'm just standing there talking shop with him, uh, a very nice young woman walks up and says, listen, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I saw you from across the way, and I just wanted to come over and say I'm a really big fan, and I love your work. And so I backed away and got quiet so that Michael could talk to his fan. And then an uncomfortable lull goes by, and they're both looking at me like, say something, Rob. (laughs) I'm like, oh, oh, you meant me. Yeah. And then I apologized to Michael, and I talked to her. It was was really weird. I mean, in... I, I don't think I'm interesting enough to have a dichotomy, but if I did, it's that I am arrogant as part of like some sort of self-defense mechanism as my own personal broken you know personality. But when it comes right down to it, I don't understand how anybody would know who I am. Like I really think that this is all you know fluff and bluster mostly. But, but like, you you do occasionally get recognized when you're out just yeah, walking around. Very occasionally. Uh, when my parents visited about five years ago, I put up on Facebook, if anybody sees me, I don't care how well I know you, please act like you give a shit that I exist because my parents are going to be here. <laughs> and they live far away, and I just tell them, 
personally. Like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a horribly big deal around here. But then, you know, they come to town, I have to have, I have, to have it backed up. I was like, kind of hoping for like a hard day's night kind of thing. Like getting chased down the street by my uh, legions of fan. Did not work. <laughs> Did not work. Now, if that ever happened, would you be singing a hard day's night as you run? Yeah. Yeah, because you you'd have to at that and point. And back then, I mean, and I've, luckily I've started exercising a little bit. But back then, it was most I was mostly held together with like hangovers and like nicotine, like so you I, can do been, when you're young. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I was I was running down the candle on that one very quickly. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I I would have I would have hoarsely. <laughs> anyway. So, um, what have you done with your week? I have been in the unfortunate position where this week I have spent near a thousand dollars on carpeting and a mattress because apparently I turned into an adult. You're also a homeowner, right? I am. Now, I mean, yeah. do you ever find yourself going, "How did I turn into this person?" Because I feel like I've accidentally became, and manly is putting too fine of a point on it, but like I'm now proficient in some manly arts that I did not foresee happening to me. Did this happen to you at all when you bought your house? When I bought my house, two things happened, and one was the unfortunate one, which was everyone you know who has some junk they don't want, they're yeah. like, hey, you could use this in your house, and the first couple times you say yes until you get you in get on scam, it, and you're really, yeah. okay, now i got to tell this to someone else and get rid of this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the second thing was I I bought power tools for the first time in my life. Yep. And, uh, and I was, you know putting up walls and tearing down walls because I bought a, a really old house it was 135 years old when wow. I bought it over on St. Paul's East Side mm -hmm. and I bought it because it was cheap and as a writer or any kind of entertainer your income is up and down yes. so you always want to have something cheap that you can afford to you know go work at a, a day labor place for a few weeks if you have Nobody's to clapping. how is no one clapping for Ray? I don't know Ray's been doing this for 20 years yeah. at least yeah. it's been 20 years since I first walked in here and he was here that night yeah and uh, it was, it was more of a karaoke thing then. Like they build it as karaoke, yeah. but nobody actually got up and sang. So it was just this, but with a different sign. I came here um, before a wild game, just kind of like lost in downtown St. Paul because I don't really know anything about downtown St. Paul, and especially not back then. And I wandered in, and it just I'm kind of in this Twin Peaks Asian restaurant. And there's a little man on stage who was singing "Lady in Red" by Chris DeBerg. Yeah, he still does that one. And well, this was this was ten. No, this is 15 years ago now, probably. And I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" And I'm not leaving. Like this is perfect. Like this is, so, I ordered a big flaming drink and I just took in the room. I mean, and what I've explained to people about Thursday nights here, it's like you know, for sure the entertainment is on stage. But when you take a step back, really, the entertainment is the world right now. Like every you're pretty much immersed in a great show. Like you you know, everything that's happening. But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about your house. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I started doing renovations, and and, and that lasted a couple of years, mm -hmm. and there are still some like unfinished, like partially put up walls in the house because oh, yeah. after a couple of years, I was like, it's good enough. It, you'll know it's a wall if you look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So like my my bathroom has just basically a wood frame for a wall okay but since i live alone Chick magnet since i live alone yeah. i don't have to like you know worry about the door being closed it's but, fine yeah, but i mean if you if you want someday not to you know be single you might want to finish the wall right yeah no if if uh if another woman ever you know guilts me into having her move in i will yeah. definitely uh, i guess that's also a good thing yeah i mean th i shouldn't that, that say that more dating that, material that, and not yeah, moving in material makes my that makes i've only had one ex live with me in that house and it was okay. a long-term thing and yeah. and we when we broke up it wasn't like we stopped loving each other we just couldn't live together anymore yeah. so you know those breakups a good breakup uh, well, it's but good when they actually the breakup happens. A yeah, lot of times, I still we, love you, but we, I can't be around you. We yet. were on Here momentum for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 
the way she got me to ask her to move in was by crying and saying I would never ask her to move in. And yeah, I was that, like, yeah, okay, don't right. cry. You can move in. Please yeah. move in. So um, that's why I say guilting me into it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she was great for I got like four good, of those five years. Yeah, but and, and she was cool with the, with the bathroom wall? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go into too many no, stories. No, no, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to exact any out of you. I'm just, you know. It's but like, because, well, because the bath, the bathroom that I'm talking about, there are two bathrooms. Mm-hmm. There was one that the house came with, but there was no shower. It was a bathtub and a toilet and a sink. And okay, I was like, a three quarter bath. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm gonna need a shower. Mm-hmm. So I went down to like one of the side rooms on the main floor. I just tore things up and put in some new wall frames. And, wow. Yeah. I got a very important piece of advice from a friend of my father's before I bought a house, and he had just sold his first house, like the house that like he bought when he was finally old enough to get a house, and he just sold that. And he was telling me as you know the sale, as the closing was occurring, he was finally finishing up all the stuff that he had started, and he vowed never to ever do that again. And he's like, Ian, whatever you do, don't start a bunch of crap you're not going to finish, or not in any hurry to finish because you won't and then you'll just be sitting in this broken house and then someday you will sell it and then you'll have to do it all and the nicest your house will ever be is the day you're moving out and i'm like you know that's a very good point and luckily the house i got you know was pretty well put together and there wasn't too much to do or that i could even really do yeah and you know like how you have that month after you buy a house where you don't pay anything but you could either spend that month moving in or you could spend that month you know, cleaning and changing everything. I just moved in immediately because I was like, I cannot figure out how to fix my house and fix it in a month. It's just never going to happen. And I've had friends who've tried and they'll like refinish their hardwood floors or something. And because you walk through the house and go, the house is really nice. Too fucking bad about the floors because it's just they look like shit because you do it in a hurry and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. So... Yeah, so that's that's where I'm at. I, I'm I am the guy who's gonna have to finish this house up before he moves out. Yeah, and should I get another house, it will be um, it'll be as I want it when I yeah. You know, I won't buy another house where I think oh I'm so excited to have a house yeah that I'm gonna buy something I need to fix up. I yeah I don't see me moving. I mean I like my neighborhood a lot. I live in Northeast, but I just I, I don't, what else am I gonna do? Like, I, I got the house thing covered. Like, I can, I now have a place to live. I can nest there. I got a bunch of shit in the basement. Like, I mean, what? I mean, they would, every, my neighbor would really have to go to shit. Are you single, too? Uh, well, I, I live with my girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, you live together. So, yes. yeah. Okay, so if you want to let your, your lifestyle go for a month or two, you can't because yeah. you make your, your housemate uncomfortable. Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, like, you know, sometimes uh, when um, I get home, I just want to throw my jeans on the floor instead yeah. of the hamper. Yeah. And I sometimes still, I, after I after a that. month or two of that, there's a big pile of jeans. I, I, I might get away with 48 hours before I'm yelled at about it. Okay. Or things will just end up in a hamper, and then other things will just, like, yeah. I mean, I ended up uh, finding I had in my deep freeze, um, like, uh, half a dozen hot dogs. Like, good hot dogs. Like, butcher-made hot dogs. The Cadillac of hot dogs. They'd probably been in the deep freeze, I'd say, six months. I think that's an entirely decent amount of time for me to, like, one day go, I want a fucking chili dog. We got some chili. I got some buns. I'm making chili dogs, motherfucker. Went downstairs, deep freeze, looked for my hot dogs. Hot dogs are gone. I'm like, where are my hot dogs? And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Those hot dogs were, like, a weird color, and I threw them away. And I'm like, why did you not at least ask me? And then she looked at me like I was nuts, which goes to show that no long, no matter how long you date somebody, they'll still look at you like you're fucking crazy when you're defending hot dogs to them. Oh, yeah. I lost my pizza cooker that way. 
Yeah. I had like the rotating one with the oh, heat lamp nice. on top. Yeah, yeah, those look cool. Yeah. Well, it was it was ugly and didn't go with anything, and one day it was just gone. Yeah. I mean, and I, and whenever I talk about this to anyone, and Lord knows it's not very fucking often, I just come off as a horrible pack rat. And then I'm like, well, maybe she has a point after all. So I try not to talk to other people about it, so I still feel like I'm mostly right. Fair enough. So I have a question for you. Yeah, lay it on me. Because when I first became aware of you was, was hello, was jinking with Ian. Yeah. And uh, um, what were you doing before that? What led to drinking with Ian? Um, well, how far back do you want me to go? Um, I started doing drinking with Ian, but before that I was I was hosting an event called Punk Karaoke in North Minneapolis, or Northeast Minneapolis. Um, that ended up involving a lot of people who went on to be in Drinking with Ian. Basically, I, was, I had gotten fired from First Avenue, or as I say, laid off. <laughs> They'll say fired. I was like, eh, no, I'm totally. Hey, how you doing? Can I? Yeah, sure. Are we getting our picture taken? No, we're going to video you guys. Okay. okay. Oh, just be natural. Yeah, all right. Um, but, yeah, now i got to talk about me getting fired. No, but, um, yeah, so I was at First Avenue, and... Uh, my, uh, my termination came, and then I was like, well, how, what do I want to do? And I'm like, well, maybe I'll host something. So I, I hosted punk karaoke, because that was still a novel concept at the time. Like, okay. nobody really did. He couldn't have karaoke and punk at the same time. Those songs were not in anything. So I was like, look at me. I'm cornering the market on this, because I had a computer with an MP3 program, where if I hit Command-K, it would get rid <laughs> of the vocals. So I'm like, I'm on top of shit. So did that for about a year, and then was like, you know what? I'm ready to take this to the big times. I'm doing a television show. Because I'm like, well, nobody's going to put me on TV if, it, if not me. Because when I moved here in 94, I really thought, like, I mean, this is like the era of, like, Fancy Ray was on television all the time. And I, coming here from Muncie, Indiana, it was a dramatic difference. Like, look at this. Like, look at all the shit happening in the Twin Cities. This place is just nuts. And then it slowly It's like a kinda, cultural oasis. Yeah, well, then it's kind of died off. And then I was, like, looking at public access. Nobody's doing anything on public access at that point. And I'm like, well, fuck, what's going on? Like, I was sold a faulty bill of goods here. Like, where's the weird shit? And then I realized, well, fuck it. I guess I got to do weird shit. So that's kind of what I ended up doing for the next, you know, till today, till right now, trying to do some weird shit. Because it doesn't seem like Minneapolis has been a, it's, it's a city that's comfortable doing it on their own. Do you, do you think that to be? Are you from here? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, but um, I still try to find something in common with everyone else in town. Um, yeah. Because uh, I do find that a lot of the people in the arts and uh, in the local entertainment industry are not from here. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Other than, yeah, you know, either. if you're from here, you, you might grow up with uh, a lot of um, uh, self-deprecation that's too intense, yeah. too much to overcome. And it took me, actually, and, I yeah. had that too. Yeah, it takes a while to, like, kind of take yourself seriously enough yeah. to put yourself out in a public sphere. And, and you never get over it. Um, no. Because, like, like we said earlier, like, I'm that guy who, like, if I get recognized standing outside the laundromat because my dryer broke down, I'm surprised someone recognized me, yeah. and it's just kind of awkward. Yeah. I mean, and I'm a big fan. I mean, and I'm sure this isn't correct, but why a lot of people in the arts here are, are not from here, it's because I think that after you graduate high school, you should throw a dart at a fucking map and move. Because otherwise you're drugged down with everybody who knew you when you were 13 and a moron. Yeah. Like, you really need to cut and run and make if a, if a fake persona or just come up with something that isn't the jerk that you've been trapped into being since birth. And I think that's kind of what I did here a little bit, even though I'm still a lot that same jerk. I did spend several years away from here. Yeah, where, where'd you go? might have helped. Well, I went to school in St. Cloud. Oh, so far away. Um, yeah, I mean, well, really, that's... Well, I mean, that was that was one thing, and it was... I don't know what it's like there today. I pretty much uh, am... I'm sure that it's pretty much just a, a, a faraway suburb at yeah. this point. 
But this was like the mid '90s when uh, you would still have tractors driving down the main streets wow, of town. Okay. So it was a very different culture. Uh, and then after that, I went to uh, Hollywood, and I, I spent a couple of years oh, trying great. to become a screenwriter. That's great. Did not succeed at that. And at one point, an ex was on the phone with me and said, why don't you just come back and move in with me? Yeah. And I was like, that is way that better than anything better. happening yeah. to me out here. I'm going to do that. And that's how I came back. And, and when I came back... And did you get up the ladder in Hollywood at all? I mean, I've always wondered. No, and I always I never even not- got a writing job. All I the, like the best work I got there was like as a paid game show audience member, <laughs> and usually it was worse than that. Because I, I arrogantly, uh, when I, I visited there when I was like 21, and you know, just by knowing w- one right person. Got a couple job offers. I mean, I wasn't doing anything, you know, even vaguely entertainment. I was all doing design back then because I was still working at Mag. I was doing all, all all print work, so I was just doing design work. But I got an offer for a job at a record label. I got all sorts of cool stuff, and I'm like, this is, L.A. is a great place. Whenever I need to, I can come here and, you know, become, you know, very well known. Like, like you, you know, think when you're yeah, young. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, so I'm going to finish off running this magazine in Minneapolis. But when I'm done there, maybe I'll find my way, myself to L.A. and then, you know, everything's going to be great. Magazine ends up going tits up two years later. I show up in L.A. and it's just like, oh, wow, this town is this town's horrible. This town didn't 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 remember me at all. But, you know, of course, when you're dumb and 22, you think it might be a chance in hell. But no, no, not at all. But I mean, I was even watching um, uh, uh, Pat Smear and Dave Grohl going to David Bowie's old haunts in L.A. Yeah. Uh, yesterday it was on as a, a Playboy video. Um, and I was just watching it going, man, I mean, it's like we all have this collective nostalgia for, for Los Angeles. Like, I mean, if you, I grew up watching the Rockford Files. So just to see it, like, why am I not there right now in a car with Pat Smear and, and Dave Grohl? Because I bet I would be, you know? Right. And it's, this is just perfect. This is everything that I would want in life, even though I don't give two shits about Nirvana or Foo Fighters. But I'm like, ah, oh, man. And then you realize it's just all bullshit. Yeah. And, and that's like it, when, when you stay out there. It doesn't matter really how long you are. You pretty much got a 50-50 chance of either like being successful enough to pay your bills or being homeless and forgotten. Yeah. Um, and, and time does not skew that one way or another. No. I mean, everybody who I know who ended up moving there is miserable and has a note of optimism in their voice when they talk to me. And like, so how are you doing? What are things like in Minneapolis? I'm like, I don't know. The same? Ooh, it's the same? Oh, that'd be so nice. I do know people who are doing well out there, but the thing is, like, they, they spent years networking before they moved there. Yeah. So once they were there, they had they had some jobs available to them already. Yeah. When I went out there, I didn't know anyone. And, and I just it was just me living in my car, uh, going out to Hollywood, and yeah. then hanging out all day trying to find work. I really fucked this up because I was dating like a 32-year-old lawyer. She did trademark work for the studios and made more money than Christ. And she really wanted me to have her kids. Or she she wanted to have kids with me, I guess. Yeah, that's because uh, I, I don't know why. I don't know because I was living in a basement at Cake Magazine in Northeast Minneapolis, unheated, no windows, no nothing. I was the art director there and was just happy to give them the shot. Because when I moved to you Minneapolis, you were at Cake. When I moved, when I moved to Minneapolis, I uh, I saw somebody reading a Cake Magazine on the bus, and I was already kind of familiar with it. And I w- looked at it, and I was like, you know what I want to do? I mean. Someday, I want to be an art director at a magazine like that. Like, that's my big dream. When I'm, like, 18, 19. Like, that's my huge, you know, big, big, like, aiming for the aiming for the stars dream. And went after it. And within two years, I was the art director there. Um, 
And it was due most to the fact that they were desperate than any talent I had. I was a horribly green designer. I had no business being there, but they needed somebody, and I needed that gig. Um, so I ended up meeting uh, a lawyer at South by Southwest in, like, 1997. And uh, she would fly me out to L.A. to hang out with her. And for me to be her arm candy as, like, this scrawny, you know, 21-year-old Midwestern boy um, with, with goofy hair. Which makes good arm candy. Yeah, which I was, hey, you know what? I'll be anything. I was fine with me. Yeah, and then she showed me around and uh, introduced me to some people and was just like, see, wouldn't L.A. be a great place to live? And I was like, I, I knew that it would be, but I also had some weird mid- Midwestern ethic. Like, this is all bullshit. Like, this, I can't trust any of this. Yeah. And I guess it was, it was all too easy. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is how people end up, you know, going into porn. Like, I'm going to end up being, you know, Or how they slavery. end up chopped into bits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, this is, this is, this is going to go well for me. Which was, which I should have just said, fuck it, and did it. But I ended up doing another magazine instead. Uh, which was great. Which, you know, changed my life. Which I wouldn't be here without. I would be in fucking L.A., probably, you know, horribly famous. You know, doing better drugs with famous people, but nope. But I mean, I'm having a Sing Tao, uh, which is not our sponsor. Our sponsor, of course, is PBR. You're having a Guinness. We're drinking around the world right now. We really are. I, I'm fond of the Sing Tao. I, the first time I had Sing Tao, I was on more drugs than I ever had been in my life in the Lower East Side of New York when I was also 21. 21, apparently a great year for me. And I was like, this Sing Tao beer, you can get it at a bodega. I got to try more of that. And I think that the Hunan is the only place in town that I know of that you can get it. And I think they've been going through the same case forever. I think I'm the only person who buys it. You can actually see the rust marks where the, la- where the, <laughs> where the lid was. Yeah, but which is fine. Age is great. It's funny. When I was 21, I didn't drink at all. Like on my 21st birthday, I did go and buy a six pack for the novelty. Yeah. And I drank like two. And I didn't go out and have a big thing. I just, you know, had the two, and I was like, okay, I'm going back to being dry now. Yeah. I have since made up for it. Yeah, what what, what, what gave you that, that clean living lifestyle, Rob Callahan? Well, I was running with the American Indian Movement at the time. Okay. And, uh, you know, among Native Americans, like, alcoholism is a very... Of course. It's, it's awful. And, like, if you're going to be with AIM, you're clean. And the reason I got with AIM was because this is an interesting thing. Like, you know, you look at me, and you, you see a guy with, like mildly brown hair and blue eyes and yep. pasty skin and you're like why is the, why was this guy in the American Indian movement but where where I grew up and the people I grew up with I never thought of myself as white until I moved away for college because growing up like everyone knew who everyone was yeah. and I had I had a bunch of white friends and I had a bunch of mixed race friends and among the mixed race friends some of us had darker skin and some of them looked like me yeah but we all were just like who we were and it was like it was reinforced enough, like, my white friends would ironically throw slurs at me. So I was like, Ugh. I am Native American. Yeah. That's how the world treats me. And when I got to college, I didn't know anyone. This is like a theme in my life. I move places and don't know anyone there. Mm. But I found out they had an American Indian Center, so I went down there to, like, find some people I have some stuff in common with. Yeah. And I walk in, and, and, they looked at you and they're like all like, crazy. what the fuck is this white guy doing <laughs> in the American Indian Center? Yeah. And that was when I started to realize... Okay, the rest of the world... You told your name was Rob Callahan, right? Because it really yeah. just says it all right there. Doesn't yeah. It? The rest of the world sees me as a white guy. And like you do when you're 19, 20 years old, rather than accept that, you try to prove them wrong. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I'm going to be more Indian. I'm going to be the Indianist, Indianist <laughs> Indian you've ever seen. And that was when yeah. I, like, I, I had met the guys from AIM a few years prior at a protest of the, uh, of the Braves during mm-hmm. the World Series. Yeah, of course. And that was when I just started, like, 
coming back home to Minneapolis and like going down to the Peacemaker Center and getting involved and uh, uh, getting to know people so that I could be a part of AIM to prove how Indian I was. That yeah. was one of two things I did. Yeah. The other thing I did was I went and I chased down like census data from the 19th century. Oh, wow. Okay. Because... Did they even do census for no? For they, well, they they did, and and like my family was uh, different. Like during that period, we're talking like the mid eighteen hundreds. Um, there were there were most of the natives, and then there were the sellouts, the people that cut their hair, yeah. and went to church, mm-hmm. and that was my ancestors. <laughs> um, and because of that, they escaped the exile. In eighteen sixties, there was a a huge exile. All the natives were rounded up and sent out to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And the ones that were spared that were the ones who were like servants and maids and had cut hair and and spoke English yeah. and, and went to church. And those are those are my great great grandparents. Yeah, were they called apples here? I think that's what they were called in Indiana. They would be called apples today. Okay. Um, the word for them back then was hang around the forts. What was it? Hang around the fort. Okay. But it was the same basic principle. Yeah. Um, so, because, and, and the census did keep track of Native Americans too, but they didn't try very hard. Of course, yeah. Uh, but because my ancestors were, were the, the white Indians, mm-hmm. sort of, which is ironic because now I'm like a white person of color, um, they were on the census rolls, and that was to prove to AIM that I could run with them, I had to go get this documentation. Wow. So I, I spent a couple now, of weeks going that down have to. Been the case with anybody, or is it just because you look like you? I don't want to say. Okay, <laughs> I'm just out of curiosity. Like, they, were they giving you an extra hard time on getting through the door? I don't think it was just because I look like me. Uh-huh. It was a combination of I look like me, and I didn't grow up knowing them all. I see. Yeah. Because um, like, if you're an unenrolled, blue-eyed, pasty-skinned, blonde-haired yeah. Native American, and the people in AIM have known you since birth, and they know your of parents course. and yeah, your grandparents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a, not going to question there's it. There's a pedigree already involved. But if you uh, turn up out of the blue and you look like me, hey and you're guys. like, oh, no, I'm 163rd Cherokee, yeah, and I'm yeah, totally yeah. into the spirituality, yeah, yeah, yeah. there are questions, yeah. because a lot of people do that. Yeah. So, this is where I buy the dream catchers. Yeah. 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 So, so, so maybe they put me through more ropes than usual, mm. but, but they, were, they were justified yeah, in yeah, doing exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the end result was I had like a paper trail to show no, I am in fact Native American. Like so they, they wouldn't accept a picture of my grandmother. They wanted more than that. Yeah. Okay. So now how how long did you stay with them? That yeah, the, the really active phase was probably like two or three years. And then uh, like after that, like I moved out to LA and when I came back some of my connections were no longer around here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like keep in touch and like Vernon Velcourt would be looking for a ride to Cleveland so he could protest like the uh, yeah. Indians opener mm-hmm. and I'd hear that and I'd be like Vernon I can drive Number you one. let's go and so like I'd go out to Cleveland with Vernon with one of the guys who was like you know in the 60s was helping found this thing yeah. yeah and just listen to his stories about the old days yeah what do you learn from someone like that that's got to be amazing what did I learn from Vernon Belcourt uh, mostly he taught me showmanship he really okay he honestly um, was very adamant about teaching me showmanship because he was like, you know what, Rob? It doesn't matter how right you are. It doesn't matter how strong your convictions are. If you can't attract a crowd, none of that means anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so 
uh, we would go to places uh, like we'd go to powwows and stuff. And like in Cleveland, like you'd go to Cleveland for the opening game, but you'd stay because there was a week long uh, series of events planned around it. Mm-hmm. And part of how we would uh, pay for the gas money and the lodging was uh, there'd be. This sounds funny, but there was an AIM merch table at these events. That like does you sound could, funny. That you does could buy an AIM jacket or an AIM T-shirt or whatever. And uh, he'd have me uh, hanging out at the at the table selling these T-shirts and jackets. And he would often come up to me and be like, "Rob, you're being too shy. Yeah. If someone comes up and asks you about the shirts, you give them all the information you can about the shirts, and you do it enthusiastically. And you're just being like awkward. You got to stop that. Yeah. So Which is good advice. Yeah. Out of all the things I learned about uh, my life from this guy who was there at the founding of AIM, you would think it would be something like more progressive or political, yeah. but it was showmanship. Well, I mean, it does get the point across, you know? No one's going to sit there and try to hear you. I mean, you've got to yeah. make sure you're heard. And are there any parallels for uh, AIM and... Because uh, you are no stranger to convergence and various cons, and I think if anything's about showiness, it is that. Is there any, is there any uh, correlation there? Not that I can think of. I was trying really hard to shoot yeah. a uh, segue in there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sorry, to, I'm sorry to disappoint. No, but, uh, it, was, it is a disappointing segue. I could ramble for five minutes and not make a point. <laughs> That's I, I'm good at that, but let's not do that. Um, I so don't want to rip off your listeners. No, no, no. no and I think they're getting ver- every dollar's worth they spend. Um, now, so yeah, but let's, uh, let's hop over there real quick, though. So what is your history in the uh, science fiction community? Well, uh, the going to cons was a thing I did when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, like like a young like probably from like maybe eleven or twelve up through fifteen or sixteen. Back then, there was really like one big convention in town. And it was Minicon. Yeah. Convergence didn't exist, and it was the con. It was the one you went to. And when I hit about sixteen, I decided that what I wanted more than going to the con and going to the dealer's room and finding old X Men back issues. I wanted something more than that, and that was I wanted the girls at school to talk to me. Damn straight. And which was a mistake because all of my friends who kept going to conventions, the girls at the con talked to them. Okay. Whereas I went to school and didn't go to cons anymore, and all the girls were like, well, yeah, you can try to act as cool as you want, but you were going to cons. They never forgot who I was. Okay. Like, you were the kid who wore Doctor Who t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. I was that one kid in my school. Not a chick magnet, yeah. Um, although these days it would be because Doctor yeah. Who's become a huge thing. But um, so I, I dropped off at the age of 16, and I stayed that way like all through college. Like I didn't change my lifestyle other than I wasn't out about it. I wasn't. I was. I was kind of. I guess a closet nerd. Okay. And this would happen a lot when I was in college. Like young women would meet me, and they'd be like, "Wow, this guy is like really smart, and he's pretty good looking, and he's a gentleman. I'll try dating him," and it would work for a week or two. And Until then. they're like, I want to go out to the bar. There's a big dance night. And I'd be like, yeah, but there's a new Babylon 5 episode on. <laughs> we can't miss that. Yeah, yeah, And, that'd be it. and then I'd, someone else would come along and be like, oh, this guy's pretty good looking. Yeah, He's nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had a lot of uh, relationships, but they were all very short-lived. Um, and then after college, I just thought, you know what? I'm an adult now. I can make my own decisions. I miss going to conventions. I went back to Minicon, and it was very small. Like, it used to be thousands of people, and all of a sudden it was a couple hundred. And I found an old friend of mine, uh, Corwin, Bruce, and I asked him what happened to this con. And he said, oh, you know, a few years ago there was a a big split. Like, people had differences in ideology about what a con should be. And those of us who wanted something that was, like, more low-key and more literature-centered, we stayed at Minicon. 
and everyone else ran off and started convergence. And I should say in Minicon's defense, like for years they were that way, and then they were like, you know what, we need to have a broader appeal. We need to have more than just books. So like Minicon is now just like a smaller convergence with like less young people partying and puking. It's the old people partying and puking. Um, but I, I, so I'd heard about Convergence through that, and uh, I uh, didn't go the first year after I heard about it. But the second year, I uh, went down to join the, um, the uh, MinSTEF, the Minnesota Speculative Fiction uh, Group, which is a bunch of local science fiction writers who just critique each other, run their work by them. It's a writer's group. And I went to one meeting, and Hillary Moon Murphy was running the meeting, and she mentioned, if you're an author, Convergence will let you come in free for, uh, to do panels. Like, you do a few panels, they'll let you in free. They've since changed that policy, but that was the original policy. And I, I, at that point, I had a self-published out, book out, and I had a small press book out. So I emailed them. And they were like, yeah, we'd love to have you. And I had also, like, just finished up assistant teaching a Dale Carnegie course on, like, how to be charming. Hey, there you go. So because of that, like, I went to the convention and, and I was able to be on the entire time. Because I'm sure that you, like, you have a public persona that's like an exaggerated, happier version of yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I was that guy. And that's basically what the Dale Carnegie yeah. course taught. Like, yeah. lie and smile. Lie yeah. and smile and remember facts about the person you're talking to. Yeah. Um, so uh, I... I was enough of a hit that first year that they kept inviting me back. and uh, Because a big personality plays well at something like this, and a lot of times I think that people are probably more meek or, you know, smaller personalities. Yeah. Much like, you know, this is something you might have learned from AIM. There's, I'll set up my own damn segue and answer. But yeah, big personality, right? I mean, is this is this what got you through? I think so. Yeah. And and I, I can't call the big personality false, because it's not false. No, no, no. But it's a, it's a way of presenting yourself in a way exaggerated that, yeah. version of who I am. And it's yeah. a happier version of who yeah. and and you probably have the same. Well, and who do, and because who wants to hang out with you know some you know mumbling jerk up on stage you know who stares at his shoes the entire time? I mean that's and that that if people was, wanted to hang out with that guy, I never would have changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you had a guitar, you know, but yeah, no, I mean, that was basically what all I could do for years is just be the mumbly guy. Like, uh, what changed? What what you have to put on the plumage. I mean, there's no way around it. I mean, if you want anyone to kind of like, I mean, if you're going to have a microphone in your hand, you have to like, you know, you have to be, you know, kiss a live one. You can't just like, you know. It's what I learned in AIM, which is showmanship. Yeah, exactly. And that's and the only thing, and that's the only way you can pull it off. And it's, it is all a lie, and it is all a shtick, but I mean, everybody has a lie and a shtick every time they go to work. Everybody has a lie and a shtick every time they talk to somebody, you know, like when you talk to your grandparents, it's all like, you know, you're presenting yourself in very specific ways. And that is no different than anything else. Right? No, I, I agree. Um, and, and I'm just, I'll reinforce this for the, the young people coming up now who think you can just be yourself and everyone will like you. Yeah. That's true to an extent, but you have to be an over the top, really likable version of yourself. Yeah. To yeah. get people to And then, well, you have to find the good parts about you. I mean, this takes time, though, because, I mean, it's one thing just to be big and over the top, but you actually have to figure out the right part. I remember being, you know, like 20, and it was just like, I just wanted people, like, I wanted to be in the... I wanted to be like in stories people would tell. Like I remember one time I met Morris Day, and the person I was with was, told me, "I will give you twenty dollars to ask him what time it is." 
And I was like, really, I was like, oh God, I could do that. I mean, that would be. But then and I, you'll be legendary. Yeah, I know, and I'd be legendary to like, you know, my, my group of friends. And then I was like, no, but you'd also be the world's biggest fucking asshole. Like, you don't <laughs> want to do that. Like, uh, like every time, like you know, and it's just stuff like that where you have to be really careful on how you tread and like, you know, how do you present yourself the best way to the most people without pissing off 49% of the people who you're probably aiming at. So you can't be as dis- divisive. Decisive. That I still haven't figured out. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm told that I'm a very divisive person. Really? Uh, I'm very polarizing. No, I don't know it. How because is that? I don't see that. The only people I ever hear from are the people that like me. Oh, okay. But yeah. some of the people who like me are like, no, dude, when I mention your name, half the people I know fucking hate you. See, I, I always was of the opinion, uh, you know, if, if all I hear are good things, that means that I'm either, that I'm doing well and the people who don't like me fear me enough not to tell me I'm an asshole to my face. So that's kind of a win-win. I suppose. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're keeping yourself in a bubble, but I mean, unless somebody's willing to call you out on your bullshit, is it bullshit? Like, I mean, if, if bullshit happens in, in the woods and no one calls you on it, is it actually bullshit? I don't know that it is. Perception does determine uh, local fame. Precisely. Yeah. Um, so I did have a, I had one person call me out on a blog once. Um, I'd been making fun of a particular large organization in town that is involved in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. that had a serious diversity problem, and they were like, they were trying to do a hip hop show, and I f- I feel they were sincere about it, yeah. But because of their rep, the hip hop community just like jumped on them and said, "You're not fucking doing this." Yeah. And um, and I I weighed in to the point where I was like, you know, I know what their rep is, but I think they're sincere and. I know I'm also not like a part of the hip hop community. I'm a fringe member at best, but um, please, like, if my word has any weight, uh, give them a chance to prove themselves. And that was pretty much the message that I, I had. And someone at the organization blogged about how awful I was being toward their organization and blah blah blah. And now there are times when I'm intentionally awful to people, and those are different. Yeah. But this was accidental, and so I emailed the guy, and I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry that it came off that way. It's not what I meant. Let's have a dialogue. And he wouldn't do it. He just kept really? sending me back, like, trollier and trollier emails until I stopped emailing him. Ugh. Yeah. So I know there's at least one guy out there who doesn't like me. Well, that's, I think, the problem that you and I have, and we've talked about this in the past, is we are both freelancy enough where you have to be careful on who you call out their bullshit on. Yeah, because I was—I mean, there's a number of you know overinflated, self-aggrandizing bullshit institutions in this town that I would happily, just for no reason other than just to do it, just call them out on all their bullshit. But you and I are—I mean, at least I believe I'm slightly neutered because I have done that in the past and ended up getting deep in bed with people, you know, like organizations where I'm just like, ah, oh, you know what, I was just being a, a bit of a reactionary asshole, turns out it's not that bad, or maybe I just think that because now they're paying me. I mean, have you ever found that be, to be a problem? Absolutely, and that's all I want to say at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. It's not go. the walker. Yeah, alright, good. A few months back you were on Shannon's podcast, which I'm uh, one of the uh, main yes. guys on. Yeah, I mean, it, which it's I would have sh- called your podcast, but apparently it's Shannon's it podcast. It is Shannon doesn't admit this, but it is her podcast, and the rest of us are there because she handpicked us to be on it. That's great. Um, but uh, I, I asked you, uh, I heard a rumor that uh, Drinking With Ian was going to start back up for uh, uh, the, there was like an alcohol network that was mm-hmm. starting online content. Mm-hmm. And you sharply dismissed it yeah. immediately. That, no that's not that fucking all. happening. That's not even remotely true. Uh, would you ever consider starting it back up? No. 
Why is that? Uh, because it sounds good to give a sharp answer. Okay. That. Uh, no, I mean, you know what? Honestly, it's such a it, it's such a strange thing to even consider because nobody's even sniffed around. Okay. Like, it's not like I've like going, oh, that offer isn't good enough. Like nobody, it, it's it's a footnote in, in in you know a handful of people's lives. People barely remember it. Like the magazines I did. It's just kind of like this is flotsam that somebody barely remembers seeing 10 years ago. Like, I mean, I don't think it it's, wasn't held in high regard. I mean, by, by a handful of people was. But, I mean, it just was a thing that we did and that I don't think got the traction it should have nor was taken as seriously as it should have for, if no other reason, the amount of work that went into it. And that's why I'm always kind of gun-shy about a lot of this stuff because it was there's a lot... There's a lot of blood that went into it. There's a lot of very, very hard work that went into it. And after it's all said and done, I mean, you feel like you're kind of like trying to throw something back into the ether, you know, like trying to, you know, I mean, so what I remember, you know, yet again, when I moved here, there were some really cool things happening that I really liked that I really, really strongly wanted to be a part of. And that's how I got a job at Cake because I really liked what they were doing. I really wanted to do it. So what I thought, you know, I got a little older. I thought I would invent things that younger people, you know, my younger uh, analogs would want to end up doing and kind of, you know, get their start in doing something like that, and it just never I happened. I get that. I'm in that phase now. Yeah, yeah. and I just never, it, and it, I never ended up getting anybody kind of climbing up and going, hey, I'm, you know, I'm 19, I don't really know how to do this, but I've got time, and I'm interested in giving it a shot, so I'll, I'll definitely would. Ooh, cupcakes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you guys got cupcakes. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, so I'm kind of jaded about the whole damn thing, but I mean, I, I'm very proud of it. I like, I look back on it very, you know, with a, with a big smile. But, I mean, I think that the, you know, the meat grinder history just kind of chops a lot of stuff up. And unless it is a huge mainstream success, I think it's largely forgotten. And I believe that most of the stuff that I've spent 15 years of my life working on is largely forgotten. I mean, if it was ever known in the first place. Right. Which is a shitty thing to say. And it's fatalistic. But, I mean, that's, and that's a, one of the main core of why I, when you ask me to do something like this, I'm just like, nobody gives a fuck. I know no one gives a fuck. That's not what this is about. No, well, yeah, it's, it's uh, the, name of the, the name of the article. I is have not no idea what this fun. is about. This okay. is this is about the Walker was like Rob will uh, let you write a monthly article for us. <laughs> do what you want. That's what this is about. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we're coming up on the tenth anniversary of Triviasco. Yeah. How'd that start? Well, um, I was, you know, doing the television show, and the television show didn't pay shit. Obviously, it did not pay at all. So I had to figure out a way to kind of parlay the modicum of fame I had doing the show into a modicum of income. And that's precisely why I started. Like, I don't know, I could, you know, I, I, doing punk karaoke, I, so I kind of knew that thing. So bar events became kind of an idea to me. So after doing karaoke, what do you do? Well, what, else, what, what do bars have? Because I wanted to kind of subvert normal bar-goer experiences. Like, what people are used to karaoke, but we'll do it with a slant. Okay, well, people are used to trivia, so I'll do it with this slant. It'll be louder and obnoxious and, you know, and, and be dumb. And that was kind of how, how it happened. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, in abject poverty from doing the show. And, like, you know, a quick couple bucks from Pizza Luce was a huge, huge help. Fair enough. And, and I wanted to meet chicks. I wanted I wanted people to go, uh, which is, yeah, I wanted, you know, it's like I need money and I need people to know where I'm going to be. So if they want to buy me a drink. I'll just, you know, I'll actually, I'll go on record and I'll, I'll echo that. Like, when you are the trivia host at a bar, women who should be out of your league and should not pay attention to you, 
don't just talk to you, but like get really interested in yeah, you. Yeah, it, it's an odd thing. Um, yeah. And one that with time I've gotten smarter at, at sidestepping, but at first you, you have know, you to just, you walk right at it. Going, yeah, no, hell yeah. At first you're like, I can't believe this is happening. And yeah. then at later you're like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was, I, I was uh, broke, uh, unemployed, other than doing the show, and had just got out of a five year relationship. And I'm like, and I just happened to stumble upon this will solve all of my problems. I will have enough money to eat, and there might be girls there that want to take to want to talk to me. So it'll solve all of your problems and create new ones. Exactly, which I was because I was dead tired of my old problems. I'll take as many new ones as I can get my hands on. Yeah, you know, variety. Yeah, damn straight. Like I mean, I've gotten pretty good at dealing with these problems. So now let's try some new ones. And yeah, I mean, it's like getting older. Like I don't think that I've gotten. Like, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm going to turn forty this year, which is horrifying. But I don't really feel like I've ever really gotten that old i just think i've gotten better and better at being like 27 you know like every year i'm a better and better 27 year old you do than present 27 thank you i try um let me segue about the uh, getting older thing because um in my experience i'm 40 now and what i've found over the years is like it doesn't matter how hard you well it matters how hard you try try absolutely as hard as you can but there's still an element of of luck and timing to it of course and so i've seen friends of mine become far more successful than me mm -hmm. and I want to be jealous but I'm not because I'm just so glad my friends are successful uh, have you had friends like that successful ones yeah 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 because yeah, yeah. like you you hung out with Malman years ago yeah and he's doing great of course he is. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. he's still not like I a household name but friends. yeah you know yeah. he's he's not hurting either no he's doing great I mean and, and, and more power to him but I mean I've got uh Gold records on my walls with people from people I grew up with. Like I turned down being in bands that, that sold millions of albums, just because I was like, ah, this pop punk thing's over. Yeah, I, it, it's. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna it's, go do this drinking with the end. Yeah, 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 this is this dumb television show idea I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, but I don't think there's any shame in that because I mean, who wants to be on somebody else's ride? You know, like, you right? Know, fine, I'll just come up with my own dumb idea, and either it'll work or it won't. But no, I've had a lot of friends who've gone on and done pretty well for themselves. But I mean, I actually like it. Like, you know, I, the more people I know who have money means that, you know, if I need to get bailed out of jail someday, that's just one <laughs> more person I can call. Like, hey, remember how much fun we used to have? Well, I was still having fun until about three days ago. <laughs> and if you would like to help me, I'd very much appreciate it because you know who I know and you're pretty much the only person I can call. I do have those friends. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I remember when uh, Diablo Cody got her Oscar. It's just like, isn't is that right? Doesn't that chap your ass? Like, why would I, why would it, why would I care? Like, I don't, like I mean, I barely know her, and you know what? And now she's, I, I know somebody with an Oscar, and you know, presumably a decent income. You know what? I mean, if I get cancer and I have to have some sort of fundraiser, and somebody writes a very well crafted email to her, maybe she'll be responsible for taking part of a tumor out of me. You know? Hey, awesome. You know. I never met Diablo, but I was jealous of her before she ever went to Hollywood. Yeah. Because I was jealous that she was a City Pages blogger. Yeah, the Pussy which, Ranch, yeah. Which I am now. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why I was jealous. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. It's and That's the thing about living in a, in a market like Minneapolis. You think you're looking up to other people, but no, it's just an optical illusion. You're pretty much on the same level the entire damn time. Yep. It's just, you know, like people, I mean, and you're even better off if nobody knows who you are because they probably assume you're smarter than they are. But once you have some time to prove it, they're just like, eh. Thanks, Joe. Hey, Joe. He didn't notice it was me. Did he notice it was you? I uh, hope so. 
stuff. So I don't know. But yeah, I mean, and, and, and Joe had black hair when I first started coming here. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, Joe being the owner of the Houdan, who's had this place for forty years, I think. I think he, he got it in like the late seventies. At least since '95. That was the first time okay. I set foot here. And and uh, and wrapping up a little bit here, but yeah, Joe actually has kept his place in business. There is a McDonald's across the street that went out of business when the uh, light rail came through here. Like it took like two years for him to build it, and all the business around here went tits up. And he fought his ass off to keep this place open. So that's another reason why I'm happy to be here with you today, Rob, here at the Hunan Garden. Every Thursday, Ray Evangelista, 8 o'clock till 1 o'clock in the morning. They have volcanoes. There's a guy on stage who's setting up some congas, so he should probably begin to wrap up. Rob, thank you very much. Thank you, Ian. For uh, hanging out. Uh, I will I will announce our sponsors to the romantic strains of Let It Whip by the Daz Band. One of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, but real quick, let's talk about our sponsors, who I hope are still my sponsors after this belated break I took. Um, first off, I'd like to thank our friends at Pabst Blue Ribbon. Uh, always in the picture and always in good taste. Add extra flair to leisure time activities. Put original Pabst Blue Ribbon in the picture. People with good taste naturally go for its old-time beer flavor. Original Pabst, brewed as it was when it won the Blue Ribbon in 1893. So next time, put yourself in the picture. Enjoy original Pabst Blue Ribbon. And um, our friends at Stand Up Records. We like our comedy like we like our booze, straight up and bitter. Check them out at StandUpRecords.com. They have new albums coming out all the time, and they have an amazing Roku channel. If you have a Roku, go to the uh, channel store, look under comedy, and download the Stand Up Records channel. They have all sorts of great stuff on there, and pretty much uh, 15 episodes of Drinking with Ian. It's the only place you can see them right there, and they also have full-length specials by Chad Daniels, Maria Bamford, and other comics that are just as good. You just don't know who they are. And our friends at FGC Creative. Uh, attention bands and bars if you're looking to get the most out of your marketing budget they've got the deal of the century for you FGC Creative will custom design a shirt with your logo and screen print it on the best shirts around and here's the deal part you say you heard it on Dive Bar Mitzvah and you'll get them for five bucks each there's no design fees no setup charges and free shipping and they've been doing great work check out their Facebook page they're uh, reprinting old band shirts like bands like Mule and Killdozer like early 90s like like you know kind of like touch and go hardcore bands they're getting these shirts back in rotation, you know, with full involvement of the bands. So look them up on Facebook or FGC Creative and get them to make your damn shirts. Rob, thank you very much for being here. We're ending as we started on Earth, Wind, and Fire. Thank you. Makes a lot of sense. It was a lot of fun talking to you, and hopefully I said something that was vaguely interesting. So if you, and you have to write this article. We shall see. Yeah, I know. I'm not overly optimistic. Everybody, thanks again. I will see you back here uh, before you know it. I think maybe, I don't know if I'm going back weekly or bi-weekly, but yet again, rate us highly on iTunes and spread us around to everybody who wants to hear us because that's what keeps us going. So yet again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.